Welcome to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, a foster and adoptive and bio mama and a therapist in private practice. I'm here to help foster mamas feel seen, heard, and supported on their journey. From quick, actionable steps to make your foster care journey easier to interviews with foster and adoptive mamas, the Fearless Fostering Podcast delivers education and encouragement weekly. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, and I am joined today by Chef Kibby. He is a foster and adoptive parent and a cook extraordinaire, and he is going to tell us all about how he uses cooking as connection points um, with the kids in his home. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Kathleen. I've been uh, so blessed by your podcast for, for so many months and years, and it's great to be able to talk to you. Thank you so much. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background just in the foster care world to start? Yes. Yeah, so my wife and I have been uh, foster parents for uh, probably close to 10 years ago is when we started our journey, um, started our journey being very naive going into it, if I'm being completely honest. Um, we had known since our engagement that God placed it on our hearts that we wanted to welcome children from outside of our family of origin, didn't know exactly what that would look like, if it would be, you know, domestic adoption or foreign adoption, uh, eventually decided that we were not in a position financially to go the the traditional adoption route and decided in the meantime to give foster care a try. And I know that sounds really naive of, of us in hindsight, because there's a lot more to foster care than than what we had initially understood going into it. In fact, our first training meeting, we were getting a little bit nervous when they weren't talking about how much things were going to cost in foster care because we had gone into it because we couldn't afford adoption. And when they didn't talk about the cost, we were like, uh, maybe we were gotten in over our heads and eventually, you know, I had to kind of like raise my hand and ask the instructor, okay, so how much does any of this cost? Mm-hmm. And like everybody in the room just turned around and looked at us and the instructor very politely is like, no, um, the state's going to pay you for mm-hmm. all of this. So that was our, our, our first foray into learning about foster care. Our first placement was a, a huge culture shock for us. We were in over our heads right out of the get-go. We kind of, we took a placement that was a little bit outside of the the parameters that we had initially agreed on. But, you know, when you're first getting started and you're just, you know, just full of, of passion for these kids, you just, you just can't say no. And we, we said yes. And we were immediately in over our heads with, with behaviors and, it was it was a dysregulating experience for 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 us and for me in particular. After about six or seven months of trying our best with what we knew at the time, we ended up disrupting that placement and mm-hmm. followed with a lot of just questioning and self doubt. Like, did God really call us to this? Are we really cut out to be foster parents? And um, I'm sure many of the people listening can. Um, can empathize or have had similar experiences as that. It was a, it was a tough way to get started. Yes. So I think you're right. I think a lot of people, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, Oh, like I couldn't ever say no, or I've never said no to a placement. And 
you know, it's like, there's, that's fine. If that is, is your way of thinking or whatever, but it is hard. I think people, it's really hard to say no. Once you, as you said, are excited and you did the classes and you're trying to just like make a difference. And then all of a sudden it's like reality sets in and things can, you can kind of realize like, wow, we're in over our heads, but you didn't stop fostering after that happened. So what made you guys decide your, your wife and you to come, come back in and foster again? Well, it came back to that calling that we felt like God had placed on our hearts. And we thought that we had a very unique um, family situation in order to be able to make uh, foster care work. We have a, a four-generation household. So it's my wife and our biological kids, along with my wife's parents and grandmother. Mm-hmm. And so we felt like of any family that should be able to make it work, it should be ours. And that's not a, a prideful thing. It's just looking at just how good we had it and thinking there's there's got to be a way that we can make this work and provide opportunities for young people to have some some stability and some safety and security for however long we are blessed to have them with us. And so for a while, we went back to just doing respite care for, mm-hmm. for quite a while just to get our feet back into it, just to um, you know kind of fight off some of those those cobwebs and those limiting beliefs that we had about ourselves after the first um, displacement. Mm-hmm. And eventually, I've had some some really good experiences in foster care. We've been able to adopt a child out of foster care, but I've also had some other difficult experiences as well. Um, we had a child that was placed with us uh, very early on in life and was with us for about three and a half years before they were reunified with their family of origin, never to be seen or heard from again. And so I feel like in the the last 10 years, we've seen quite a spectrum of what the foster care system has to offer. And through it all, experiencing a lot of, of again, kind of frustration and self-doubt with the experiences in the in the day-to-day and not just in the, the, the visitations and the courtroom hearings and things of that nature, but just the the behaviors that kids from hard places bring with them that we weren't anticipating um, because all of us have come from from pretty healthy and stable family backgrounds and we had good kids to to bring in children from outside of our family of origin it's it's different and it's difficult and it took a long time for me to figure out where the disconnect was when I wasn't able to connect with this child um, emotionally and from a from a parenting standpoint why things weren't working and for a long time I just it's not that I didn't care. It's that I didn't. I felt like I was doing everything that I knew how to do, and if it wasn't working, then it was it was my kids' fault <laughs> that it wasn't working for them. And um, I just kind of escaped into my work, and I prayed for my wife that she would be able to handle these behaviors better than I could. And that worked for a while until COVID happened, and yeah. that that business that I had, my, my catering business that was going really well at the time. Yeah. Catering kind of disappeared in March, April of 2020. And with it escape my escape route from all of the the family issues that I was having um, went away with it as well. And I kind of had to face the facts and figure out what was, what was going wrong. Yeah. Wow. So, wow. It takes a major, shift like that to kind of make you kind of reassess what, you know, what's working and what's not. So what changes did you make with in your business and also within your family at that time? Well, from a business standpoint, we were in a, 
an okay position financially. I was also um, working as an adjunct um, instructor for a, a community college, uh, teaching at the culinary college where I had graduated from uh, 10 years prior. So financially, we were in a pretty good uh, shape without the catering business. And so it gave me a little bit of space to just kind of step back, get back into my home kitchen and like, mm -hmm. you know, cook for my family again and begin to to take a a hard look in the mirror and figure out what was going wrong. Also with the help of of my wife, who's been an incredible encouragement along the way, uh, helping us to get some some counseling, to, to bring in a family counselor who is trauma-informed mm -hmm. to help us and to help me in particular to, to see things a little bit differently. And things were starting to, to come together in my mind, but things really came to a head uh, on a particular night. I'll, I will never forget this this afternoon evening when I was in the kitchen and I was doing some, some prep work in the kitchen and this child came up to me in the kitchen, this child with whom I had had a very tumultuous relationship. And she came up, I kid you not, Kathleen, she came up and asked me, daddy, she asked if she could chop up my vegetable scraps. Oh my gosh. <laughs> just like, what are you talking about kid? I mean, first of all, I'm in the kitchen where this is my my comfort zone. This is my safety. This is my place of 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 control in this out of control life that I'm in right now. And you want to come in and have a knife and <laughs> and be in this kitchen with me and not even doing anything that really helps me with with dinner prep. It's just chopping up the scraps that are just going to go into the compost bin or get end up getting fed to the chickens the following morning. Mm -hmm. And so at first I was really confused by it because it was weird and there were a lot of different kind of no floating around in my head like no this isn't a good idea this is going to be a distraction this is going to be dangerous this is going to um, make dinner take longer it's helpful but something in me said told me that i needed to say yes in this moment and i'm glad that i did because that was the beginning of a monumental shift for me of seeing my child differently seeing her needs differently seeing her behavior differently and also seeing that I could have in her in her development and how the kitchen could be a a place where that development could be fostered and can take place and that was really kind of the point of this this movement this mindset that I'm calling cooking is connecting mhm mm so where did you go from there because you had this realization and it was this amazing moment of connection what did you do from there with this particular child, even just to connect further after that? Well, I, I began to open myself up to the idea that her hunger wasn't just for food. Her hunger was for connection, connection with me, connection within herself, connection with her environment. Food and cooking in would be a way for me to give that to her. And that played out in, in many different ways. First of all, just being open to those opportunities where she desired to be in the kitchen with me, even if it's just to chop up the vegetable scraps. That gave her such an opportunity to be seen, to, be, to, to have quality time with me, to have an opportunity to be creative, to model behaviors that she was seeing in me, even if it was just making this fake salad that we – ended up feeding to the chickens the following morning. There was so much value in it 
for her uh, physically, relationally, mm-hmm. and then to look at the things that I am doing naturally in the kitchen as a chef, as a cook, to see not just how is what I'm doing in the kitchen for this delicious meal for my family, but the opportunities in it mm-hmm. I can look to and take advantage of in inviting my child, any of my children, whether it be biological or adoptive, to look at these things and look at them as opportunities to bring them in and to give them voice, to give them choice, to give them an experience in this activity that so many of us overlook and take for granted that trust involved in it. The amount of trust that we put into ourselves and to other people, I think we often overlook that food is such a deeply embodied experience that we can to speak to our children that that they are trusted, that they're trustworthy, safe, and that we feel safe with them. We desire a connection with them. And and it doesn't it doesn't require anything really kind of high level from a culinary standpoint. It doesn't mean I'm teaching them how to make risotto, <laughs> just teaching them how to crack an egg or, or how to scrub a potato properly. Anyone who's listening to the sound of my voice right now can do really about this shifting mindset and the place that food has in our family and the place that the dinner table has for our and the opportunities that could be presented to us on an almost daily basis to help our children and foster children in particular who have been removed from their family of origin, have felt a severe sense of disconnect. To have this deeply embodied experience that we can use to speak to them and that they desperately need to hear and to feel. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I think that's so important. And it's it's not something that I would naturally ever think of on my own. I don't think, I mean, that just wouldn't occur to me to like look for moments and in ways like that within the household routines of cooking and eating for to make those connection points. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know really quickly about some amazing free resources for foster mamas on my website, fearlessfostering.com. I have a self-care quiz that will help you decide exactly what type of self-care you need at this point on your foster care journey, as well as a virtual retreat for foster mamas and an anxiety reducing email course all for free. Check it out right now on fearlessfostering.com. So what kind of advice would you give to foster parents who are maybe interested in trying to use cooking as a way to connect with their kids? Where would they start with that? Well, the first thing is really, it's it's about us. I mean, if we want our children to change, we first have to change our perspective around food and cooking around them. I mean, that's been one of the surprising things in all of this experience is that it is my viewpoint of my child to see that they're not just hungry for food, that they're hungry for connection, that because they've come from hard places, because they've been removed from their family of origin, that food can be a way to create those healthy neurological pathways to be able to, to feel safe and to experience safe. And so the first thing is looking at them, looking at their sometimes baffling or dysregulated behaviors, not just as 
as being bad kids or being defiant or being uh, troublesome, but that they're hungry. And that's been so helpful for me to be able to have an increased amount of empathy for my children because I know how I am when I'm hungry. <laughs> I am not the most pleasant person to be around. Same. <laughs> uh, hunger dysregulates us. It it decreases our window of tolerance. And so if we can begin children from this point of empathy that they're they're hungry for for a connection within themselves and with us, then we can begin to show a little bit more empathy and compassion for them. And then taking it that step further of then looking food and feeding and cooking as a way to begin to to develop and to feed that hunger for connection that our children have. And it could be just as simple as making a more regular habit of sitting down to eat together. That doesn't mean cooking an elaborate meal. It could be DoorDash. It could be takeout. It could be eating out at a restaurant. But just making dinner time a priority. And then to those further steps where the connections become deeper as we, again, advantage of this, this trust that they're placing in us, that when we cook for them, we are demonstrating to them in a very embodied and physical way that we are caring for them, that we are providing for their needs, that we love them. And then taking it to that furthest step, which is a very vulnerable, to be honest, <laughs> for all of us, myself included, of allowing them or inviting them into the kitchen with us so that they can be given a little piece of that trust. Because when when we sit down and look across the table from one another, there's something subconscious takes place, especially in the mind of a child who's looking at us, looking at the other people in their life as a reflection of who they are. And when they see the other people across the table from them being caregiver, foster, adoptive, or, or biological, being that you have the same have. And if they've helped in that process, even if it's just, you know, breaking apart some broccoli florets or, um, you know, scrubbing some or cracking some eggs, they know that that you are putting into your body. They had a hand in preparing, putting that trust in them. And that changes things in them, that relationship, it changes the dynamic. How helpful is that for us as as foster parents that we need something to change the dynamic because these kids are hurting and they need to hear from us. And sometimes our voice, sometimes our compassionate care. And when we can in this deeply embodied experience of food to break down some of those barriers that trauma did and be able to, to see some results. That's so amazing. And I think that um, it's just such a great thing to bring awareness to. And I'm so glad that you do this and that you share about it online and you kind of give tips and things like that for people who this, you know, maybe would feel intimidated by, you know, inviting a kid into the kitchen with them um, because they're intimidated about their own cooking, you know, skills or whatever. But I like how you said, like, it's not even really about that. And just to take all of our own insecurities kind of out out of the way and just make it about connection with the kid and realizing that like they're hungry for connection, but we're hungry for that connection with them. If they're a child in our home, you know, we all want that connection to happen. So I think this is a really cool way of, of going about it. 
such a great point that you bring up, Kathleen, that and that took me a while to figure out as well, that even though I took the classes, even though I saw a line, yes, I'm going to be a foster parent, that doesn't mean that this child that the state has placed into my home, that I'm naturally going to love them, that I'm going to care for them like my own child, because I don't have those neurological pathways in connection with that child. And so we as foster parents, as caregivers, by of being able to create those paths in our own mind. And th that's an, that's an excellent point. Yeah. Thanks. I feel like it's, it's just, I keep learning all the time. I'm like, everything that I want for my kids is also something that I want for myself. So just kind of exploring that in my own foster care journey for sure. Um, but I want people to be able to follow you and get more wisdom from you and learn more from you. So where can people find you online? Of Kibby on the interwebs. That's that's how you will find me. Um, cooking is is the 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 main tagline and and brand that I use. Cooking is connecting dot com. Cooking is connecting podcast. And um, I am beginning to uh, travel the country and do public speaking at many different fosters around the country. So I'd love for anyone listening to either come virtually or in person at one of these events. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time, for chatting, um, and just for all that you're doing for the foster care community. Absolutely. Thank you.